And now our reading from 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 to 19. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to look for David and his men in the direction of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds besides the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. The men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David went and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. Afterward, David was stricken to the heart because he had cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to raise my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed. So David rebuked his men severely and did not permit them to attack Saul. Then Saul got up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also rose up and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and did obeisance. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of those who say, David seeks to do you harm? This very day your eyes have now seen how the Lord gave you into my hands in the cave, and some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not raise my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your cloak in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your cloak and did not kill you, you may know for certain that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you are hunting me to take my life. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me on you but my hand shall not be against you. As the ancient proverb says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A single flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you. May he see to it and plead my cause and vindicate me against you. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son, David? Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Today you have explained how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me in your hands. For who has ever found an enemy and sent the enemy safely away. So may the Lord reward you with the good for what you have done to me this day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to be God. God. Thank you, Anders. Uh, doing a good job being our intern. First time of getting up and leading worship, so that's awesome. And um, thank you all for being here today. I'm Ed Glaze, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome everyone who's watching online. And all of you are here on this 4th of July weekend to uh, come and worship God and thank God for the blessings that we have 
as a, a country. And I want to thank our choir. As you may remember or may have heard that these folks just show up on Sunday and sing. They don't have to rehearse, though they're very talented musicians. There are some required, and then maybe some of them will stay on full time. Uh, a lot of them do. We have a special guest in the choir. Some, we brought in a ringer from Alabama. Dr. Gene Lammers is back there. He and his wife, Cecilia, are friends from Fairhope, and they're up enjoying the beautiful, cool weather up here. And uh, Gene just loves to sing and, and came and visited church, hopped in the choir. You can too. So just want to thank you all for your faithfulness and Dana, uh, oh, there you are, uh, for being such a great leader of our music ministry. Again, it's good to see uh, y'all here today. We are continuing this series uh, on, on David. And as this title says, it's a man after God's own heart. And we're seeing how we can be people after God's own heart. Uh, even as we see uh, David as a righteous and wonderful human being, and as the series goes on, we're going to see, well, uh, he did some things that are pretty, well, pretty hard. And yet, he still has his title a man after God's own heart. And, and maybe we can see that there's hope for us that our hearts can be as God's heart as we, as we look at his life and all that God did through him despite his sinfulness. That means there's hope for us. We have to admit on this Independence Day Sunday that we live in a divided nation and a divided world. We live in a divided nation and a divided world. At early church, Anders made a faux pas, and he yelled out, go, well, one of the teams here in the state of North Carolina that is called the Devils, and, 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 and you know, uh, he didn't have too many spears and arrows flung at him, but I, we know that that can be a divisive topic, can it? And, and lots of locales are people that, well, if you say you're for one team, someone's going to be against you because they're for the other team. I know that all too well, being where I, I am from. But we live in a divided nation, more seriously. There's people on either side of the political spectrum. We have people that uh, are yelling and arguing about one politician or another. There are people that are mad at each other and divided over that they live in the city, they live in the country. Uh, the cultural elites are the home, home boys from out in the country. I mean, we have so much division in our nation, in our day, in our time. So many people yelling at each other, even in church. There's much fractiousness, turmoil, hatred, anger. What are we to do about that as followers of Jesus Christ? And what, what does the scripture text that was just read to you from David's life show us how we can help with this fractiousness in our country, following a Jesus Christ who brings all people unto himself? And maybe one of the best things we can do as followers of Jesus is be good followers of Jesus and thus be great citizens of this great land. Maybe so. Let's see where the Lord's taken us this morning as we look at this text. What has happened is that King Saul has grown increasingly jealous of this young warrior, David. In fact, as we talked about uh, last week, that they were starting to yell out about David. Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And, and Saul grows extremely jealous, and, and this troubling spirit is upon him, and, and he... 
he can't even stand the sight of David. And so he gathers together his elite special forces, 3,000 men, and he says, I'm going to chase David out of this kingdom. I'm going to do away with David. I'm going to even kill David. And David hears about this, and he gathers uh, some faithful followers, and they go out into the wilderness, a place called En Gedi. Now, when you get to go to Israel, you, you'll see the wilderness of En Gedi. It's still called that is right on the borders of the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is a very bleak area. I, there's hardly anything that grows around there. It's called the Dead Sea for a reason, because uh, there is hardly any life there around the Dead Sea. It is a barren place. But right off the Dead Sea, right off that area, there is this oasis called En Gedi. And Back then and still to this day, there's streams and a waterfall that flow there. And as you heard uh, in the scripture text, the wild goats are, are there. And David and his followers are hiding in one of the caves that are in this region. And they're in that wilderness. Eugene Peterson in his book about David talks about the wilderness experience. It's a place of austereness. It's a place so of beauty. It's a place that we go and have to depend entirely upon God. And Peterson argues, if you are a follower of God, at some point, you're going to be driven into the wilderness. Look at Moses. Moses, after murdering the Egyptian, flees into the wilderness. And what was his plan? I mean, he, he's running out into this barren desert. There he's befriended by the Midianites, finds his wife, and ultimately, as we know, encounters the living God there at the burning bush. We see this with the people of Israel who Moses led out of Egypt. They go out into this same wilderness where they are totally dependent upon God for this 40 years of wandering and being formed into a nation. And of course, then there's our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who for 40 days was sent out into the wilderness. There he was tempted. There he struggled. There, as Eugene Peterson says, he learned what it meant to be the Savior that God was calling him to be, not some mere entertainer or magician or a healer, but to be the Savior of the world. And this is my own personal belief, and it might be heretical, but I, st I think it holds true that the incarnation itself was a wilderness time for the divine, for God came into this earth with all of its beauty, but yet all of its hardship, and all that, that Jesus himself had to endure the human condition, not being in control. Yes, Jesus, his whole time here on earth, think about leaving the glory of heaven, and descending, yes, to this beautiful place that we, we get to reside, but also a place where he had to be just like one of us, enduring all that we've had to endure. He wouldn't be human if he didn't face the same things, the hardships that, and the struggles that we face. As it says in the book of Hebrews, we have a high priest who is not unacquainted with all of our ways. So Jesus came into the wilderness of our existence. And so too did David go into the wilderness in this place of harshness and austerity, away from all of civilization, 
yes, a place of beauty, but a place where he learned the disciplines of obedience, trust, and prayer. We know that David was the author of many of the Psalms that we get to read uh, in our scriptures yet even today. And many of those Psalms we believe were written while he was there in the wilderness as he was touched by the presence of God there in that bleak place. One of the Psalms that he penned was attributed to his time being chased by Saul in the wilderness. It's Psalm 57 and it's going to be on the screen so I'm going to read it to you. David writes, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for you, in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until the destroying storms pass by. I cry to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame those who trample on me. God will send forth his steadfast love and his faithfulness. I lie down among lions that greedily devour human prey. Their teeth are spears and arrows. Their tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen it into themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my soul, awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I'll sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness extends to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David, in that wilderness, learned that even there, in that place of austerity, he was surrounded by steadfast love. And God's faithfulness is as high as the heavens are above the clouds. Yes, David was sent into the wilderness. So was Moses. So was Jesus. All who follow God are at some point are sent into that wilderness. And you don't have to go into the desert to be in the wilderness. For sometimes life circumstances will send you into the wild night of the soul. Even if you are living in the same house that you resided in all your life. We go into the wilderness, and it is there that we gain a perspective of being surrounded by steadfast love, that God's is, is faithfulness is higher than the heavens above the clouds. And it is there that we gain a perspective that even in all this mess that I described earlier on in, the, in this message, the divisions in our nation, in our world, God is still active even in the mess. And His faithfulness is from everlasting to everlasting, and that helps us as we view all those around us. David, in the wilderness, with his friends, they were there hiding out in a cave, and the story you heard read is that King Saul, with his men, is out there in that wilderness, and well, King Saul had to do his business. And they didn't have restrooms back then, so he goes into the cave, and as we like to say in our parlance, he was literally caught with his pants down. He was in a compromising position. And there are David's men saying, the guy that's trying to kill you, he's right there, look at him. 
not a stitch of clothes on. <laughs> you, you got them now. And David said, far be it for me to lay a hand upon the Lord's anointed. Now he does sneak up and cut a bit of Saul's robe off. But as you saw in the text, he even feels bad about that because he holds the Lord's anointed in such high esteem. After Saul leaves the caves and we assume putting back his clothes, David comes out and said, hey, Saul, look, I had every opportunity to kill you when you were in this vulnerable position. And I did not. And, and Saul is humbled by what David did. He's humbled uh, that this one who he was pursuing, this one who he was trying to kill, could have killed him and yet did not. You hear what the text said? You have repaid evil with good. You're a better man than me. How did David do that? How did David do that? And what does that have to do with us today? Well, you see, what David said was, I cannot lay a hand upon the Lord's anointed. I cannot do anything to someone that God has put in this position of leadership. I cannot touch someone that God has set over me. This is God's anointed. And even though this person, this king, this one that God has set in place is trying to kill me, I will not set my hand upon him because God has set him in this place. Wow. That's pretty hard, isn't it? When we think about our governmental leaders, isn't it? We know that people are placed into office in, in our day, in our time. There are people that uh, are governmental leaders and governmental officials. And when we hear about their words in private or hear what they say in public, well, what, some of the things they say truly degrades their office, doesn't it? When I heard and, about those Watergate tapes and read what the, the transcripts of them, well, what... President Nixon was saying in private, disgusted me. And I bet it did you too when you heard how he's using foul language and taking the Lord's name in vain and doing all those things. That degraded the office. We see what uh, politicians and, and government officials are saying today, and that bothers us. It degrades the office. We see some of the things they do that cheapens uh, their position. So here is David having this person placed in power above him, going to try to commit murder, and yet David still honors that office. Wow. We who are followers of Christ, well, we hear these words of the Apostle Paul in Romans where Paul's writing to the church at Rome, a church that's being persecuted, not only by the people around it, but you know, the imperial authorities are, are struggling against them and fighting against them. And Paul says this, about those authorities. All authorities are from God. Therefore, submit yourselves to the governmental rulers because they are of God. Later on, Peter writes to a church we know was being persecuted, and he says this, for the sake of the Lord, submit yourselves to the authorities, whether it be the emperor or those whom the emperor has put into place. That's our stuff, isn't it? That's hard. How can we do this? Well, with the eyes that David gained in the wilderness, with wilderness-tempered eyes, David, as he approached Saul, 
could not do any harm to him. After seeing the beauty in the rocks and the crevices of the desert, he could not scorn or oppress any human being. That ain't easy, is it? Because we live in a time of divisiveness and anger. And we, because of this tie I'm wearing today, it has the Declaration of Independence on it, we celebrate the fact that we have the blessings of being able to choose our own leaders. And sometimes the leader that I voted for doesn't get in office. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. 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 And we grow angry and frustrated, even with those that we vote for, right? How do we work with them? How do we not degrade the person and their office by seeing them with the eyes that we have had trained in the wilderness and seeing them as we talked about last week that every person, black, white, red, cripple, old, young, no matter what they have done or are doing are created in the image of God. As David approached Saul who's trying to kill him, he saw him as somebody Yes, as anointed and set over him, but also saw this person as one created in God's image. And how can we do harm to someone who bears the image of the one who has made us? This is hard stuff. This is hard stuff. When we think about some of the people who are in office, think about that. And think of the name of somebody that you say, when I... See that person in the news, my skin wants to crawl. And I don't want to say nice things about that person. So I'm going to use an extreme example. Vladimir Putin is created in the image of God. Yeah, I'm dealing with a refugee family, you all are too, who's been affected by that man's actions. And we may not love his actions we hate him in fact but still how does that affect the way we treat anybody particularly with those whom we disagree that's hard real hard that's why jesus when he talks about the golden rule y'all know the golden rule right what do unto others as you would have them do unto me right that means even those that we don't relate to personally you know our government officials but right after Jesus says this words, he said, the way of life, the way of following the golden rule is the narrow way, and few find it. Few find it. That's why it's so hard. That's why we have to have this time of being in the wilderness and being set, setting our hearts attuned to the goodness and graciousness of God in those hard and dry periods of our lives. Now, me doing aside, there are some times that we say Jesus is Lord. And because we say Jesus is Lord, we struggle against the powers and principalities that are out there. That's a different sermon. And we know that the early Christians had to go against these same rulers that Paul and Peter told them that they submit to. We know that. But how we do that is in the vein of what our dear civil rights leaders, Martin Luther King, John Lewis and others says we do that with a heart filled with love and nonviolence. That's a different sermon for a different time. 
We're talking today about David's reconciling love because that's what David did. He sought Saul's good. You heard what Saul said, you sought my good even when I sought ill for you. And that's what David did. He could have killed Saul and yet he sought to be reconciled to this man who's trying to murder him. That ain't easy. That's what he did. For that's what we who are followers of Jesus Christ are called to do. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in Christ we're all new creations. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. God sent Christ in the world to reconcile the world and to call us as ministers of reconciliation, not counting their sins against them, but reconciling them and giving to the ministry of reconciliation to us. 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 Paul says pretty emphatically in Romans, while we were yet enemies of God, it's sometimes translated, while we were doing our own thing, while we wanted everything that was against God, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Reconciling us to God, the world to God. And we are instruments of that reconciliation. That's what David is bearing testimony to. Preceding what his descendant Jesus would do. Reconciling. Love. That's what we're to be about. You know, you wonder sometimes where preachers get their material, don't you? Um, Some have said that I... I just come up here and start talking, and uh, sometimes that might be so. I've got really I've got a guy in the back with flashcards that's just telling me what to say. Look at him turn around. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, actually, I, yeah, or there's a screen up there. Yeah, someone's pointing the screen. It, actually, the screen has an ugly picture. It's me, you know. Uh, what, I, what we do is that we, you know, study and read, and one of the persons that influences me and has is a lady named Barbara Brown Taylor. Uh, if you've been blessed to uh, ever hear her speak, which I have on several occasions, uh, her, her voice is just filled with graciousness. I listen to her on audiobooks sometimes, and you just hear the, the love and graciousness of God in her voice. And of course, her books, which I have several of on my shelves, are just so rich in her uh, way she presents the gospel. And so um, that's the person that influences me, Anders. I'd encourage you to get some of her material. Um, she tells a story. Uh, when she was at her nephew Will's first birthday party. And as any birthday party where the, uh, the kid's a center of attention, he's there oohing and on, ah, he's stumbling around the way a one-year-old would and getting all the cake and the ice cream and the gifts and everyone's showering love on him. And there's another little boy at the party named Jason, and I guess he got jealous, kind of like what Saul was doing. And, and he just couldn't stand any longer, and he went and pushed Will down. And Will stumbled and fell and landed on his bottom, then his back, and then banged his head. And, and he started, just like a baby would do. And his mama went and picked him up and comforted him and, and helped him to feel a little better. And as soon as she sat him down, Will had never really experienced any meanness before. And he didn't know what else to do, so he tottered over to this other little boy, Jason, and wrapped his arms around him and hugged him. And Barbara Brown Taylor said this, little Will hugged all the meanness out of that room. 
And then she goes on to comment with this quote that's on the screen. She says this, that is what love is. Not a warm feeling between like-minded friends, but plain old imitation of Christ, who took all the meanness of the world and ran it through the filter of his own body, repaying evil with good, blame with pardon, death with life. Call it divine reverse psychology. It worked once, you work again. Whenever God can find someone else willing to give it a try. God's asking us, are we willing to give reconciling love a try? Are we willing to follow after this descendant of David who took all the meanness of the world and bore it on a cross so that all the world can be reconciled to God, but yes, not only that, reconciled to each other. May we, who are gathered here in this place and online, may we be willing to give this reconciling love a try and help heal the divisions in our nation, our world, and even our church. Won't you give it a try? Let's do this together so that the world will know Jesus because we seek to love even when it's so hard to do. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.